Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Anique Ivans. Uh, she's an evolutionary ecologist. Uh, she's over in the Netherlands. And we're going to talk about uh, cooperation between ants and colonies or between ants and other organisms. So, Anique, thanks for coming. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How did you first get interested in ants and their relationships to other organisms? Well, my parents tell me it was uh, really early on as a kid. I was already fascinated by uh, by ants. I would, uh, during summertime, um, walk around in the garden, use my little shovel and dig up ants. Um, and uh, so there was already there uh, like uh, little seed planted. Uh, and then I um studying uh, biology. I was doing a, a bachelor's degree in biology and was general biology, but I came across a course in, in evolutionary biology and I realized that actually the evolution of, of cooperation is a, a fascinating theme within evolutionary theory. Um, and it turned out that the, you can perfectly study that using ants. So that really brought my, my two interests together. Oh, so what kind of circumstances do you see ants cooperating? Is it with plants or is it with other animals? Like, mm-hmm. What do you see? Yeah, so ants are are ideal study systems for cooperation because they uh, cooperate among themselves. So uh, in an ant colony, uh, you can actually, you could view uh, an ant colony as a single organism with the ant queen uh, who reproduces and then all the ant workers as sort of cells of the, the body of the colony. And all those ants among themselves work together and make the colony as big as they, uh, they get. Um, but then ants also do uh, cooperate with other uh, organisms uh, besides themselves. For example, they keep crops in their nest. They, they grow fungi as, as they were crops. They keep uh, aphids and other insects in their nest for, uh, for honeydew. Um, there are even uh, ants known to plant uh, little trees. And they have, just like we do, uh, bacteria in their guts uh, that help them uh, digest their, uh, their food. Um, so all at all kinds of levels, uh, uh, ants uh, engage in cooperation. So you said they keep aphids and they they plant crops. They plant. I mean, I guess they harvest fungi and mm-hmm. they. And so tell me about each of these instances. What you know? What are aphids and mm-hmm. how do ants relate to them? Yes, yes. Let me first start with the fungus growing uh, ants. Um, they are uh, well better known as uh, most of them as the leafcutter ants. Uh, they occur in the, in the neotropics, so southern Southern America, um, and they are very well known because they they are a common image carrying big leaves uh, on top of their heads. But in fact, it's not the leaves that they eat that they cut from trees. Um, they cut up the leaves to feed to the fungi that they keep as crops in their nest and the fungi that's their um, 
main food source. So they really grow mushrooms, so to speak, in their in their in their nest. They they plant the lotofta fungus. They maintain the garden. They they weed out uh, um, the fungi they don't want. Um, and when the uh, a new queen uh, emerges and and flies off to start a new colony, she actually brings a piece of fungus from her maternal nest to start a new colony. So she really brings along the the crop for her new colony to to feed on so that's an example of of ants uh, uh, growing crops and then uh, ants uh, keeping cattle uh, aphids are the best example so aphids are usually known as a pest for example uh, crops that we grow or on rose bushes in the garden but they uh, are also uh, um occurring inside ant nests underground uh, where they feed off uh, of roots of, of trees um, and because they feed on plant sap on plant juices uh, their excrement is actually a sugar water so to speak so it's a it's really sugary substance which is an ideal food source for ants that uh, live um, uh, exclusively uh, subterranean exclusively underground so ants, ants eat the excretions of aphids that's right that's right um, and they actually uh, solicit this so they they tap with the antenna they tap the abdomen of the aphid and then the aphid produces a, a droplet uh, for the for the ants to feed on and this is what we call milking behavior so this is a very very stereotype behavior that the ants only uh, display when near an aphid and there are uh, different aphid species that cannot live without uh, ants and without being kept by ants um, and we we call this cooperation because this is really an exchange for of food for services. So the the ants rely on these aphids for sugar as a food source. It's their sole source of, of sugar underground whereas the ants actively protect the aphids against predators. So for example uh, other insects that may prey on those aphids or me, if I dig up a nest, uh, the ants will come uh, run out and, and pick up the aphids and bring them deep into the nest uh, for, for safety. And uh, the aphids clean, or the ants clean the aphids. Um, and this is really, really important because those sugary substances, of course, they can get moldy very quickly. And if these ants don't remove them, the aphids will die very quickly um, of, of these molds. So this is really a, an exchange of food for services and a, a relationship where both ants and aphids cannot live without the other anymore. So if you crack open an ant colony, is there like a, a burrow or a room where all the aphids hang out or where are they in yeah. relation to the ants? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so I should specify that uh, this is not, this does not uh, occur in all uh, ant species. There are um uh, hundreds of different ant species uh, across the world and um, a subset of them keep um, aphids inside their nest. But those that do, they indeed, they build uh, little stables, little rooms inside their uh, nest. And often these rooms are situated uh, along a plant route. Um, so these aphids don't need to move around to to get to their food. Huh. So some of these ant colonies, you'll have like an aphid room and then you'll have a... Um... I guess you'll have like a fungal room or um, you know, they divide it up. It's like a house with different areas. Uh, yeah, that's right. Different. But we usually don't, we don't see the same ant species keeping crops and cattle. Uh, so usually it's different ant species keeping uh, fungi, uh, but also they 
make little rooms, little um, fungal growing rooms uh, where they still compartmentalize their crops. It's not one big field, it's little subsets, which is, of course, a really smart strategy because if one garden or garden room gets infected, they can just remove that without uh, losing their whole crop. Um, and the same goes for, for ants that keep uh, aphids as cattle. They keep different species of aphids in separate rooms uh, and also split up little groups of, uh, of aphids. Um, and that also makes them less vulnerable to, for example, uh, parasites or pests. Um, if one uh, group of aphids in one room dies off, they still have the others um, to, uh, to feed off. Oh, that's really interesting. I mean, how many aphids will they keep? Will the aphids kind of form their own colony or, you know, what does yeah, it look it- like? Yeah, you could see it that way. Usually, uh, so these, the ants that I mainly uh, study, they can get colonies with a few hundred to a few thousands of uh, ant workers, uh, and they keep a couple of hundreds of aphids usually spread out in the in the colony or very close to the to the ant colony. And what they do is what we call culling. Um, so these aphids, they uh, they reproduce very quickly. They can produce asexually, so they make basically copies of themselves, and they can do this very quickly. So one aphid can give birth uh, to up to 10 um, small aphids, and if they all do that, you can get, uh, of course, a lot of aphids in a, in a very short time frame. Um, and what the ants do is they um, eat uh, the majority of the young aphids, uh, which is then a protein source for them. So they really keep the aphids for milk and meat, so to speak. Uh, and then they keep the, the older ones uh, for, for the honeydew that they feed off this, this sugary substance. Oh, interesting. So when a new colony is created, when the queen flies off, she'll take some fungus with her, but not necessarily aphids, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, this is uh, really one of the, the big uh, open questions still. Where do the, the ants that uh, keep aphids in the nest, where do they get their aphids from? Um, most evidence uh, suggests that they, they steal them from neighboring colonies or they colonize um, patches with aphids uh, where uh, a previous ant colony has just died off. So they basically inherit uh, a group of aphids that was living uh, there and they stay put until they are being uh, kept again by um, by a new uh, ant colony. Uh, in the tropics, there are actually uh, examples known of ant queens that bring uh, aphids or insects that are aphid-like on their backs or in their mouth uh, to uh, to with the same principle to start a new ant colony and then uh, start right away with uh, with a group of uh, of cattle that uh, uh, was inherited from her mother colony. Interesting. And then the fungus, in, uh, are the ants bringing in mycelium or what are they bringing in? Yes. Yes. Uh, a, a little tuft of mycelium. Yes. Weird. And they, so they know how to cultivate it. They put it in, a, I guess, another specialized area. They, what do they yes. do to grow the mushrooms? Yes. Yeah. So they are really, uh, really specialized uh, in that. Um, there's also among the ant colony, uh, there are different, there's division of labor. So different ants have different tasks in the, in the colony. They basically have a, a cycle where they uh, take a little tuft and they, they plant it on top uh, of the mound. 
of sort of the top of the of the garden and then they uh, chop up little leaves uh, and mix it with enzymes uh, from their saliva and then that makes a really perfect substrate for these uh, fungi and then they manure it with their own um, excrement uh, and then the fungus grows and they they weed it and they they make sure that it uh, it stays uh, healthy uh, and then they eat the fruits that the fungus grows and then bit by bit um, the fungus dies off and then there's a new cycle uh, starting and there, there are some inherent systems that make sure that the the fungus stays the way it is so this fungus is also um, clonal so the whole garden consists of the same clone of, uh, of fungus uh, and uh, fungi have a uh, a very intricate system of um, killing off uh, rival uh, fungi. So because these ants feed on the uh, fungi, there will be um, enzymes of the resident fungus in their excrement, which they use as a manure. And if they, uh, by accident, would would have planted a, a fungus that is not their own, it will die off because the the fungus, uh, the resident fungus, kills off this alien fungus uh, with the with the anti uh, um, bodies, so to speak, that are in the excrement by the, uh, in the, of the ants. So basically, the resident fungus makes sure that there is no intruding uh, fungus uh, around. Um, and on top of that, the um, ants are able to recognize their resident fungus from. Other fungi, and this is uh, something I've uh, I've shown in in one of my earlier experiments, where I offered uh, different uh, ant nests, uh, different fungi, their uh, pieces of fungi, fungi uh, from their own nest or from uh, a neighboring nest, uh, and they the ants were able to distinguish between their own fungus and the fungus of another nest, even if they don't have their own fungus uh, around, uh, and they really? kill it off. So they rather go without and then starve to death, then accept a new fungus in their uh, nest. Well, a new, is it the same species of, uh, of fungus or is it different? Yes. Yes. So the, in my, in the experiments I did, they were the same species of fungi, uh, just from a, from a different ant colony. And what we were able to show was that this uh, mechanism of distinguishing between the different fungi is strongest in the ant worker caste that deal with the fungi and that deal with weeding out. So they have a, a very pronounced uh, skill of recognizing their recognize, uh, their resident fungus and also we were able to demonstrate that this uh, re- response is sh- stronger if the fungus is genetically more different from uh, from the resident fungus than if they're really close together so this really shows that somehow the the fungus has probably a particular smell um, that they recognize uh, as their own fungus or the ants I guess they're in and amongst the fungus, and you said they're excreting onto it to help it grow, and they're chewing stuff up, and you know that's part of the substrate for the fungus. So mm-hmm. I would think the ant's microbiome would it would be an intimate part of the fungus growing. True. And I guess the, yeah. the ants, you know, the ant secretions would be in and around mm-hmm. the fungus, so they would know that it's theirs and no others. Yes, that is true. Um, and this is also what we think uh, is happening, for example, in, uh, in ants that keep aphids in their nest, that they recognize from the smell uh, that the aphids belong to them or to a different colony. But I should add that in the experiments that I was just describing, we actually lab uh, grew the fungus. So the fungus that they uh, were able to recognize as their own was not taken from a colony directly or smelling like the ants. It was grown in a Petri dish. And then introduced back 
together with workers from the original colony. Um, so that effect was controlled for. Oh, oh interesting. Did they, did they accept it when you grew it independently? Just yeah, it so no they... marks on it, no smell? If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Exactly. So they accept their clone, a piece of lab-grown uh, fungus of their own fungus, but they reject fungus that is not their own. So they are able to dis- distinguish between the two. Oh, very interesting. Um, well, you know, everyone talks about ants smelling, smelling, smelling. What other sensory organs do they have? Do they see? Do they hear? Feel vibration? Not so much. The ants world, especially of ants that live uh, underground, they rely mostly on smell. That's the way they uh, assess their environment and it's the way they communicate uh, amongst one another. And that means that their whole corporation uh, is driven by smell. Um, They do have some other senses, mostly ants that live above ground. They have eyes and also the queens. They usually, even of the species that live below ground, they come out, uh, the queens come out to fly and found a new nest. They have big eyes. They also, some ant species do work uh, with vibrations. They can vibrate their abdomen as a warning signal. And we think that is mostly it. Maybe the they have also some senses in the legs because they can also assess distance uh, by how many steps they take. Um, but there's a lot to uh, still figure out about ants uh, in that uh, sense. But absolutely, smell is uh, is the majority of uh, of their uh, sensory input. Well, maybe there's also vibration and other types of cues. You know, maybe mm-hmm. there's audible cues. Can you yes. tell if ants can hear? Do they have like spiracles or holes in their cuticle for ears? Most not. I think there are one or two species where they might be able to, to hear something, but there is very little known about that. And um, the majority also of the neurological um, research that is being done on ants focuses on, um, on smell. Uh, what about the microbiome of ants? You know, mm-hmm. Has that been uh, at least 16S sequenced and... Yes. Looked at versus different species. Like what's observed? Yes, yeah. So this is a really booming field with the with the new 16S uh, technology that uh, that has been coming out over the past uh, few years. Um, there are a couple of uh, of ants uh, species that have been uh, very well uh, well studied. Uh, among them are uh, are a group of ants that uh, have uh, nitrogen fixing bacteria in their guts, uh, and they have a, a tight association. Um, a particular bacterial uh, strain or group of uh, of bacterial strain that uh, are always found in these ants. Um, then there are army ants that have been studied for the microbiome. They have another set of, um, of bacteria that, uh, that are very common among uh, uh, different uh, closely related uh, ant species. Um, and for my own research, I studied uh, aphid um, um, tending uh, ants, uh, and they have a, a strain of bacteria in their guts that likely plays a, a role in the digestion of sugar. And this is also a, a very unique uh, strain that is only found across the world in, uh, in aphid-tending ants. So there seems to be a co-evolution going on uh, as well. And then there are some transient bacteria that we find, we, we might find, we might not find, uh, and it's more likely that they are picked up from the environment um, and uh, they might uh, colonize the guts uh, as it fits the diet of the ants, but there are not uh, obligate uh, bacteria that are needed for, for the ants to survive and to do their uh, digestion. How do you know if there's bacteria in the ant's gut that helps the digestion or not? 
Yes, so we don't know. So this is still a speculation. What we could do is descriptive research uh, so far. So what we've done is uh, 16S sequencing of the ants' guts and uh, cross-checked, cross-referenced uh, the sequences that we found in five different ant species that keep aphids in their nest uh, across the database that exists uh, of, uh, of all the 16X sequences that have been um, reported. And, and there we found that the specific sequences that we found are very closely related only to um, bacteria found in, in the guts of other ants. Um, but also really uh, different places in the world. So, for example, it's the same, very almost same strain found in uh, in the ant guts in Japan as in in Northern America. Um, and then we can look at what what um, bacterial species have been described that closely resemble these and are closely related, and what functions they have. Uh, the particular bacteria I'm talking about are Acetobacteria, say that are known to play a role in uh, in uh, sugar processing. They also have a function in in industry, uh, sugar processing industries. So we think uh, that uh, well, for now we can speculate that uh, that that's the role they play because they are only found in the guts of ants that have a highly uh, sugar-rich diet and they seem to be so specific uh, that uh, and that we know they play a role in sugar processing that for now we are assuming that that's the role they play um, so this was genetic evidence uh, and then we uh, also looked with the microscopic um, evidence, so uh, staining bacteria in the ants' guts and we see also in the location of the guts uh, that that uh, seems to be a location where sugar may be, uh, may be processed along the, uh, the ant guts. Um, of course, the next step would be to um, isolate these bacteria and see what they do and maybe uh, feed different ants, different diets, see if the uh, the bacteria increase in the guts and, and do all kinds of uh, experimental studies uh, because so far uh, that's mostly descriptive, but that's really uh, future plans. Uh, and unfortunately, we have not been able yet to, uh, to do that or isolate these bacteria. What about the uh, microbiome of the queen versus the workers versus soldiers? Yes. You know, and then the microbiome of the males that are briefly created, the virgin queens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. So this has been analyzed, not by myself, but, but with uh, by colleagues uh, that study uh, other ants. And uh, it, ha it has been repeatedly shown that the, uh, the workers that uh, deal mostly with, uh, with the food and the nursing, they have the most complete microbiome. And that, for example, males that only... Uh, live uh, for a short time and only mate and afterwards die, they have a almost blank microbiome. Whether it differs per, between soldiers and workers, that depends on the species. Not all species have different castes, but there have been descriptions of caste differences in microbiome composition, for example. And, and for the queen, I don't recall that many studies where a lot of queens have been tested. I would have to look that up, but of course, it's always uh, in terms of sample sizes, it's harder to get enough queens to analyze because right, there are so yeah. few that I don't know on top of my head whether there are good studies about it. I think one or two, but I'd have to look them up. What about the, uh, the microbiome of aphids? Mm -hmm. Has anyone looked at that when they're under the ant care, if there's a lot of similarities or not? Yes. Uh, yeah, this uh, has been a prime focus of my uh, my studies at the Rockefeller University, where we actually studied 
two species that are interacting uh, nutritionally and we studied their respective microbiomes because you can actually envision that it's it's not per se the ants that are interacting with the aphids but it's the microbiome of the ants interacting with the microbiome of the aphids so we were very interested in in that and what we uh, found is that uh, the microbiome of the aphids is highly uh, specific in the gut not so much but uh, they have um, specific organs where they keep uh, bacteria that uh, play a crucial role in their ability uh, to um, feed off uh, plant juices so the bacteria Bacteria, um, Buchnera is the most uh, uh, well-known. Uh, it's a bacterium that helps them to upgrade nutrient-poor plant juice uh, with amino acids uh, for the aphids to live on. And this, this bacteria is so crucial that um, there are known aphid species known in the world that don't have these bacteria and uh, the bacteria are transmitted what is called vertically so they are transmitted from uh, mother aphid to daughter aphid always the same uh, same clone and you are also no one has been able to cure successfully aphids from um, from these buchnera for example with antibiotics uh, because they they die they they really need these uh, these bacteria very much expected we we found uh, these buchnera also in the in the root aphids that we studied in the ant nests and we found very specific strains of buchnera in their um, uh, guts and no surprises there but in addition we found uh, two more uh, bacteria that also seem to be specific highly specific and uh, to be transmitted from a mother to daughter um, aphid. Uh, and we have to as yet find out what their function is of these additional, what they are called endosymbionts, but they might play a role either in the life together with, uh, with ants or the ability of these aphids to feed on tree roots. Hmm. Very interesting. Wow. What in particular are you trying to figure out at this point? What's your research going towards? Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm still wrapping up um, uh, studies that I started at, uh, at the Rockefeller University and that was really trying to map an interaction network, so to speak. So uh, we knew that there were, at the beginning of the studies, that there were a couple of ant species in the area just north of New York State that kept a, a, a couple of aphid uh, species and uh, mealybug species in their nest. So mealybugs are uh, another aphid-like uh, an insect. Um, and we wanted to um, uh, adopt this system into the lab as a model system for microbiomes um, because we could really, like I said, we could really study two interacting uh, microbiomes. But in order to do so, we needed to find out who was interacting with whom. So uh, what I set out to do is to um, study by with field studies, digging up ants in the in the forest, doing DNA studies uh, to specify which ant species kept which aphid species and how specific these interactions were. So if if I would only find a particular aphid species in the nest of a particular ant species or that pretty much everybody could interact with the, with everybody. And what I found is that uh, this is uh, quite specific and that it correlates with the microbiome. So that is really uh, interesting. It seems to be that we're dealing here with a, a, a tiered level of, uh, of uh, specificity and cooperation where specific ants keep specific aphids or mealybugs that have specific microbiomes in their gut. Um, but like I said, this is descriptive. Uh, and what we hope to do in the future is to now add behavioral studies in the mix uh, and test in the lab whether 
uh, those specific ants that uh, keep always those specific aphids, whether they reject other aphids, for example, or even further in the future, if we were able to isolate some of those bacteria, if we uh, infect them experimentally in different aphids, whether that affects um, the choice of the, uh, of the ants. Um, so we really want to get at mechanisms underlying what we call partner choice in such a system. So the mechanisms underlying which ants choose what aphids uh, to keep in their nest or not. Yeah, that's. I mean, there could be a lot of different possibilities. On huh, very interesting. Yeah. Have you tried to uh, take aphids out that are already been cultivated and isolate them for a while and then reintroduce them and see what happens? Yeah, that is one of the major challenges of this system. Uh, it has been really challenging to keep them in the lab and keep them alive for lengthy periods of time. So the ants we can keep in the lab. Uh, we can feed them uh, regular honey and they uh, they can live up to three years in the lab. But the aphids, like I said, they get moldy really quickly if the ants are not around. Um, so I had to, by hand, with a, with a tiny brush, clean every individual aphid every day uh, to prevent them uh, from uh, from getting moldy. So basically I was milking uh, the aphids in the lab. And because of that, they survive to a maximum of two weeks in the lab. And after that, they usually die. So we've only been able to do those studies with the two weeks in between. Uh, and there, we did not find very clear results, uh, except for that the uh, ants are seem to be able to still recognize aphids that came from their own nest, as opposed to aphids that we collected from a different ant nest. But we didn't see any preference for uh, different aphid species, for example. Um, but uh, yeah, it's still preliminary studies. Uh, and uh, we would need to be able to keep m many well, bigger numbers in the lab to really say something for sure. It would be interesting if um, you had a colony with no queen mm -hmm. and if it had aphids in it, you took the queen out. Mm -hmm. The colony would still function, I guess, for a while, but what would happen to the caring of the aphids and the mm -hmm. fungi? Mm -hmm. Have you tried any of that? Yeah, so this has been studied for the fungus growing ants as well. And usually uh, when the queen dies, uh, in at least in those species, then the colony ultimately dies because no new workers are being raised. So it's anyway an ending story as soon as the queen dies. What has been shown... Occasionally, this is really anecdotic evidence for, for fungus growing ants, but I think uh, there are also some uh, findings in, in termites as well that grow uh, fungi in their nest that uh, uh, it might be the case that the ants suppress sexual reproduction by the fungi. So basically, it, the making of huge mushrooms, fruiting bodies of the fungus. Um, and uh, when they stop suppressing that, that is the moment that... Um, uh, that the fungi can actually erupt in a mushroom uh, and uh, and spread spores, which is usually, as long as the ant colony is uh, alive, not possible. Are there mushroom growers that use ants specifically to increase the yield of their mushrooms? Has anyone taken it that far? No, not that I know of. Um, but these are, yeah, these are also uh, really ongoing uh, studies. This is a relatively new uh, field in this sense. And there are many different ant species doing this, and there are many different fungi involved. Uh, there are really uh, interesting studies uh, ongoing uh, on this. Well, very good. So, Anik, what, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you and find out more about your research? The best way to get in touch with me would be to check out my website, www.anik, that's 
A-N-I-E-K.NYC. Um, and there is also a contact form. So if you have any more questions, uh, then um, uh, that is the, the way to contact me. Well, very good, Anique. Thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been very interesting. Oh, yeah. My pleasure. Thank you very much for, uh, for the invite. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.